always say and tell people, man, like success is really just consistent execution of the basics. And I said that for a long time and I still came into this role thinking that like it was going to take like this Batman-esque kind of effort to transform everything. And I like neglected my own rule. It's not. It's just every day, <laughs> every week, execute on, on the 101 stuff yeah. and you will crush your goals your competitors, whatever, whatever that means, right? For, you know, for you. And, um, it's never been more true than in the sales leadership role. So. Hello, my friends. My name is Dwayne default, and I'm extremely grateful to bring you an inspiring message from one of our fellow leaders. I believe that we can all be better leaders and no matter what, it's our responsibility to take ownership of that journey. If sales leadership is a path you'd like to take, join us by going to salesleadernetwork.com and apply to be part of our growing community where sales leaders have a space where we can collaborate, where we can learn, and where we can truly be together among peers and mentors alike. If you get value from today's episode, and since we all need an inspiring message from time to time, please share it with your friends or even take a screenshot and share it on LinkedIn or any of the other social media platforms so we can spread the word on what it's like to be a leader in today's sales environment. Now let's get to today's episode. Please listen closely, maybe even take some notes so you can remember these lessons of leadership. Thanks again for listening. Now let's dive in. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us on the Sales Leader Network podcast today. And so with us today from Refine Labs, we have Carl Ferreira. So Carl, you know yourself better than I do. So walk us through a little bit of, you know, your background, how you came to get how you came here and like kind of help us understand your story so far. Yeah, thanks, Dwayne. Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. So I am, yeah, currently director of sales um, at Refine Labs. We are a go-to-market uh, strategy and research firm. And yeah, came from SaaS land. So a sales, a SaaS seller for, gosh, I don't know, six years or so. HubSpot was a major chunk of that SaaS selling stint. So um, I just broke into sales leadership yeah, late last year here at mm -hmm. Refine Labs mm -hmm. um, from San Diego, California, married, yeah. two little girls. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a little bit about me. Pumped to be here. Yeah, no, that's great. The San Diego thing, jealous. I'm sure everyone else in the country is. Um, I'm in Northern California, so it's not extremely different, but it's probably 75 and sunny a lot more consistently down where you're at. Um, yep. Every day. The HubSpot thing, you know, that's, that's an interesting question because I'm actually affiliated with HubSpot. I'm a HubSpot certified partner. I do a lot of stuff with them. And so I get to experience that culture kind of in a different way. And, and a couple of years ago, I was uh, on a couple of webinars for HubSpot internally with some of their product improvements. The When they were ramping up the sales hub, I was involved in betas and building out the call AI stuff behind there, even some of the task, task sequencing, which I know you had a big part in too. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how we kind of got connected as well. But I'm sure when people see other reps leave a well-known brand like that, and I'm not saying Refine Lamb isn't a well-known brand because everyone knows Chris, but like, why did you choose to leave HubSpot just in general? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. It's one that I get a lot. Um, I honestly, like, especially when I was transitioning out of HubSpot, I asked myself that same question. Yeah. My wife was asking me that question. Is yeah. you crazy? Like, yeah. HubSpot is like the best job you've ever had. Like, they're sending gifts to my daughters. Like, they said, <laughs> HubSpot swag to my kids. Like, yeah. it was a fantastic 
very cushy, great, everything type of company. And I personally had to wrestle with that. Like, am I a crazy person for leaving a place like HubSpot? Because I was very successful there, right? In year one, I was like, uh, I won like the rookie of the year award. Yeah, the rising star. Yeah, the rising star. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, which is, you know, it's, it's tough to do. And there's a lot of fantastic sellers, you know, at HubSpot. Yeah. Um, and then year two, went to President's Club. Mm hmm. And so it was like, everything's going my way. I'm getting kind of pushed or tapped for leadership roles. Uh, before I left, I was a team lead and also an interim sales manager. Yeah. And here's the truth of it, Dwayne. I left because not because, I mean, everything was going great. It's a fantastic company. I could see myself staying at HubSpot and retiring, but yeah. I just had this itch to build. Uh, that was something that I was missing at HubSpot. Like there was this like the ownership of something, you know, like if I was going to go and move up the ladder, let's say at HubSpot to be a sales manager and eventually like a director, VP sales, whatever, all that stuff I would adopt, right? I would get a sales team that's probably already performing. You know, I would, I wouldn't be hiring from the ground up. It wouldn't be yeah. my team. It would be like, something i don't know so there was something there where and even when i was the interim sales manager fantastic role fantastic team but not it's not a building role it's very much you come in and there's like six sellers on this team yeah. that are like crushing it and so you're just kind of like people just, managing yeah it's like keeping the ship afloat more than you know yeah, setting sail exactly and there was like there was just something in my heart there that i was like man i want to build something i want to hire the team i want to build the playbook yeah um so it was just yeah i didn't think like hubspot is a very well-oiled machine they're past the stage of needing builders they yeah. need executors and they're going to yes. execute all the way into being one of the greatest companies in history but i was looking for something different yeah and the timing lined up because chris reached out to me like in october or something on linkedin and we started our conversation and that's kind of how that that started so What's been the biggest, like going from something that's so built out that has, you know, they've got, <clears throat> excuse me, they've got designated territories for account executives. They've got yeah. all the different segments and industries and tiers and all these different workings to not having that. What's been the biggest kind of shell shock for you? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, again, at HubSpot, it was like, yeah, territories, <laughs> be small, if you want to call yeah. them territories that's yeah like, i would say like you get a handful of zip codes um, yeah yeah sales enablement that's probably one of the biggest things is like you really take for granted like the sales enablement team at hubspot is like bigger than refine labs you know <laughs> and so like that's another thing like you always you're so like spoon-fed like all the assets that you need and customer stories and so when you come over to kind of building i think that was the first thing was like oh man there's nothing here yeah. Who's going to do that? Oh, I'm, I'm going to do, I have to do that. You know, yeah. like, I have to update the website, right? I did, yeah. a, I did a website update yesterday to the Refine Labs <laughs> website, right? Like you, you, you can't even touch the, the HubSpot website, you know, oh, I'm sure. so it's, it's locked down. So there's like little stuff like that. I wouldn't say shell shock is the right word for it, but it was definitely like, okay, this is new. Like nobody's, nobody's doing this. Like if you want something done, you have to just do it yourself or yeah. you have to, you know, kind of cross-functionally work with another partner internally to figure that out. And I think that's yeah. been a, that's been a big, you know, a big change, but the, so that's maybe, I don't want to say that's negative, I guess, because yeah. it's been a lot of fun, but you know, on the more positive side, like you get to do a bunch of those. Yeah, things. exactly. 
right? So that's really, <laughs> yeah. I love that because it's like today I'm updating the freaking website. I'm figuring out how to update our sales deck with the designers. One day I'm coaching my seller. One day I'm working with Chris and Cassidy on like forecasting and dashboards. Like there's always something going on and that's really cool and hard to do that at a place like HubSpot where like everybody has like one very specific role and you yeah. do that and that's it. Right. So, like how, so have you made that transition going from wearing one hat, super focused? We well, kind of wore two because you're the team lead, but on yeah. this topic, like going from one hat to like 19 hats, like how did you make that transition or are you still making that transition? Yeah, definitely still making the transition. And I think one of the things that I've learned is that like, I can't wear all those hats. So I've begun yeah. to, I'm the type of person who wants to, and I'm just like, do it all myself. And what I found is that like, that's not the right way to do things. And I need to get good at involving people that are better than me at different things mm -hmm. and enrolling them in whatever my vision is. Right. Yeah. So uh, that's a new muscle that I've been developing that I'm, I'm not going to say I'm great at today. How did you come to that conclusion? I was just getting overwhelmed. I think like you start to get overwhelmed with stuff. And then also time, I start to look at my calendar and I'm like, yeah. I got to close deals. Like I have yeah. things, there's like three things that I have to get done that I've like committed to Chris and Megan to do when I got hired. Right. But yeah. end of Q1, I had to knock out three things. And so I realized that I was spending a lot of time on things that weren't really, um, dry, put, um, moving the needle on those yeah. three things. And I was like, I'm running out of time. So what's going to happen? I'm either going to start to sacrifice family time yeah, uh, or I'm going to have to figure out how do I enroll other smarter, more brilliant people here at Refine to help me out. And I just, you know, and talking to you and talking to other uh, leaders that I respect and that, and that mentor me, you know, I realized that early on I wanted to start to build bridges with other departments here in yeah. Refine so that we could all get, you know, get shit done. So yeah, and 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 from the when I was first building out teams, like kind of being the first manager, like I there's multiple times where I was kind of the first dedicated manager. Uh, I'm yeah. one company and I was there for a few years. I was their first manager ever, just past the friend they hired out of college, yeah. employee number fourteen, and getting in there and kind of having that realization, like my calendar looks like a game of Tetris that I lost. But we're really not closing any deals. And it made me kind of reflect on I'm overwhelmed because I, I just have a lot of tasks I got to do. Just start offloading those things. Um, and so kind of moving through that, because uh, you were you were the first, you were kind of in that same situation, right? You were the first like dedicated sales manager past kind of like founder-led sales, right? Yep, exactly. That's the whole reason I was brought in is Chris and Megan and MJ mm -hmm. were doing all the closing and yeah. they were like, we need to be doing executive level functions. And we're like passing like the 10 million ARR mark and are still founder, founder led sales. And so that was the whole point. Like, Hey, can we cut, can we bring in a trained seller? Cause we're winging it and, yeah. you know, and we're doing fine, obviously, uh, you know, refined labs is, is very successful before I got here, but yeah. it was, what does it look like now to build a hundred million dollar company? We're going to need processes and yeah. the right architecture in place to, to scale, grow a team. And we're going to need, you know, somebody that can do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's someone that's kind of in that specialist role. So how was that? Uh, it's probably a sensitive question, but like, how was that transition for, uh, for the company going from founder led sales to kind of handing the torch off? 
Like, yeah, I mean, I would say it's still it's still in progress. I think it's a challenge. You know, it's something that me and the executive team are figuring out. How fast do you do that? There was a lot of pipeline that had to be handed off, and there's risk. Yeah. You know, it's like we don't know Carl at the end of the day. He's yeah. new. We trust him as much as you can trust somebody that you just hired. Yeah. Um, so we had, there's been a, just a transition process and I've really made it a point to be empathetic to that trust building process. Mm-hmm. Also remind myself that I am the most tenured salesperson in the room and that yeah. they did hire me to do this and I'm going to, and I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it super well. And the process has gone super smooth. I mean, I was started in December and, you know, I've got a sales guy now. Um, and we are running, I would say 99% of, of the deals. I think at this point, Chris just kind of runs like a deal here and there that comes straight into his LinkedIn DMS and yeah, might just run with something like that, but all the inbound outbound, all of it is funneling through our team. So really it happened in 60 days. So pretty, pretty fast. So to answer your question without being long winded, I would say that was pretty, pretty smooth. And it was just, uh, me, Chris and Megan spending a lot of time together and me really winning their trust by giving them a lot of visibility into what I was yeah. doing. This yeah. is what we're doing. This is how I'm thinking, like really partnering with them as opposed yeah. to trying to rip away stuff from them in, a, in an aggressive lone wolf kind of kind of manner. And it's worked out really, really, really well. Yeah, because you kind of had that mentality of, I don't want to say camaraderie, but just internal communication kind of all through your sales history, like doing some research and listening to the podcasts you've been on and yeah. other posts and stuff like you made it, you made it an effort like really early on in your career at HubSpot to kind of build your own brand within the company. And yeah. so would you say that's kind of what attributed to the trust building that you had at Refine Labs? Yeah, 100%. I think one of the most underrated skills that nobody talks about is building an internal brand. And yeah. it's like, like any any organization that I go into, like that is like top priority, way more yeah. important than the LinkedIn brand. Um, I, and I would say on par with results, like you mm-hmm. want to be driving results. At the end of the day, that's what's going to build trust. I can, I can blow as much smoke as I want in an internal brand. Uh, but it's like, Carl is here to close revenue and build a team that's going to close deals. You got to have that. You got to proof in the pudding. Exactly. You gotta, you gotta, at the end of the day, like we need like closed once, you know, stuff in the closed one column, right? Of the HubSpot deal stages. So the internal brand piece is really important because I do want to be seen yeah. as a collaborator. That's how I'm going to move up at Refine Labs or really build the, the things that require much bigger vision, things I can't do alone. Yeah. Um, I want to build that foundation of trust and relationships with the rest of my teammates. And Hey, here's the thing, Dwayne, like at the end of the day, I'm not the smartest person by a mile here. So like, yeah. I need everybody else that's here to, to be bought in. And I want to enroll them in the thing in, in, in the vision of, of things that I potentially want to do. Yeah. And I can't, I can't do it. I don't have the skill or the acumen or the brilliance, but everybody yeah. around me does. And so I just, I don't know, I just recognize that early that I want to build a team that is not just a sales team, but like this cross-functional organizational team um, that that's how you really do a lot of damage, you know? That's yeah. how we're going to grow to be a $100 million company. And so I want was to- that, so was that something, like, was that a mindset of not being the smartest person in the room? Was that something that you kind of saw through osmosis, through the different roles you've had in companies? Was that like, hey, I read this in a book once, I'm going to try it? Like, how did you kind of come to that mindset of being a leader? 
Man, that's a good question. I, the honest answer is I don't know. Yeah, I think it's osmosis. I think it's watching leaders you know, like you. I think it's reading. I think it's like following the right people on LinkedIn and just, yeah. I don't know, just coming to the realization early that like, I don't know, I'm not all that, that, that I'm cracked up to be. And yeah. like, if I want to do cool stuff, I'm going to need the right people. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I just yeah. like humble pie, I guess, that I ate <laughs> earlier in my career. But I feel like I'm ahead of the curve in the sense that I I don't want to be the best. I don't want to be the coolest. I don't want to be the star of the show. I just yeah. want to get shit done. Yeah. And I can't do it alone. So I want to start building the, you know, the team as soon as possible because I care about the outcome, not about yeah. Glory, how, right? Hey, right. I don't care about how we get there. And what's, what's interesting that that question for me, uh, I can remember a specific point in my management career when that hit me. I wasn't able to go on. I wasn't able to leave the office. I wasn't able to go on vacation. I wasn't able to like take time off because they couldn't operate. They couldn't. They couldn't fend it for themselves. They were always asking me questions. I always had to have my phone on me. And so I'm like sitting there with my my young, young kids. I think this was like right when my twins were born. So this was probably five or six years ago. And I just couldn't couldn't pay attention to them. We're at you know a family event. I'm supposed to be out of town, off. <clears throat> but it was like everything was the end of the world because yeah. I was so attached to their process, to being in their deals and being that point of reference for them that I quickly realized I'm like, I'm never going to be able to do what I want if I continue to try to be the smartest person in the room. And then fast forward three or four years, I remember when that completely shifted. I now, I mean, just a, three years ago, I remember coming back from a, a travel, a, a business trip where I was out uh, networking with some partners and building networks and all that stuff, whatever. And I came back and like two days later, sales team was like, hey, we had really great numbers while you were gone. When's your next trip? Like, <laughs> like, sweet, mission accomplished. I'm the stupid person. Sure. Right. Um, and so it was and like, those are a couple defining moments for me where it was like, I just want to be a connector. I I don't want to be the smartest person on the same mindset cut from the same cloth. And it's like, I, I, I just don't want to be that person that everyone feels like they have to go to. I'd rather, I'd so much rather connect people to greatness. I'd rather connect them to something that's going to help them feed themselves rather than always asking me what's for dinner. Right. It's, and then that way, one, as sales leaders or just leaders in general, you can successfully step away. You you empower your people to operate at a higher capacity because you build trust, you build empathy, you build that confidence, and they're just able to execute. You know what? That's what's what you said is really important, and it got me thinking. Like, it's um, excuse me, it's like what is success? Is success in a leadership role? being able to like leave or get fired and the whole ship sinks because you were the man, you were the right. you were the woman yeah. or is success being able to fade away and things continue to run smoothly. I think earlier in my career, I wanted to be the man. Yeah. Like this, I want this company to need me. And if I, leave, oh. it hurts. Right. Yes. But now I'm like, no, I don't want that to be the case. <laughs> I'm going to leave Refine Labs probably one day, you know, yep. and I'm like I want to be able to step away and there's a machine there, a living organism of a, yes. of a sales department that is still crushing it. Maybe even 
better off yeah, with right? that's leader, right? Like legacy with leadership. <laughs> legacy leadership. That's it. And so that's a weird mindset shift that I don't know when it happened for me, but it's how I think about it now. Like I want to step away or be in the shadows and everybody around me is has a fulfilling career. Yeah. They love what they're doing. They're challenged and they're winning. And it has yes. nothing to do with me necessarily being this like huge cornerstone of the yes. entire building. Yeah. You know? so. I just want to be a conduit. I don't, I don't want to be the yeah. thing. I, yeah. I know it's funny as you're saying, I vividly remember the first time I had kind of stepped out of the individual contributor role. And I went, I was actually in, on the recruiting team at a online retail company. So I went from uh, inside sales support to sales to account management supervisor, and they wanted me to go recruit other people. And so I'm sitting, recruit people into that. And so I remember like sitting in the office and I started sneezing like uncontrollably. And they were like, you should go home. And I like fought them because I felt like I had to be there that things were going to fall apart if I was gone and like yeah. all these like crazy emotions where I just felt so insulted that they were totally 100% fine with me going home that day. And I just, I just remember that feeling and thinking back like, God, you were an idiot. <laughs> you were so arrogant. You were, you were so egotistical into yourself that you thought that you had to be the one, the first one there every day and the last one to leave because the stereotypical, you know, grind yeah. comes up and it's so ego fueled that, when you when you have that mentality in like a management role you you end up creating a culture of like neediness and people can't help themselves and you don't have any you know what i call think for themselves it's like and you step away and from it's one you and yeah. it's you that's needy that's the thing is like you 100 percent people but it's you as a leader that's needy. yes you want to be wanted you want you need you that need, validation hey you need that val like that's what your that that's what your like identity is built on like yep that need it's like i don't want my identity to be built on that i want people to say like carl came in and he built this amazing team and there's all these rock stars now on this team yeah. accomplishing all these things i'm like who's carl i used to think <laughs> this is an individual contributor too you know because i was like i don't want my customers that i close to remember carl i want yeah. them to remember huh. the services team yeah, you know, like I don't want to be the star. I want to be the person that they forget. Carl's just the yeah. guy, who, you know, contracts and answered questions and this, yeah. this and that. So it's like that same mindset I've brought from that individual contributor role into the leadership role. Yeah, I don't want to be. I don't want people that need me. That would that would indicate that I've failed in some way to build up, you know, an, an org of people that can lead and own on their own. You know, and you know, it's it's an interesting topic about having that mindset when you're in a sales role because. A lot of the times you are, I feel like there's that advice that sales reps get yep. where they need to, they need to make that connection, that relationship with their customers and create a friend, create a customer. And that's right to a certain degree, but I feel like that's something that's, they, there's not an understanding or an agreement rather like an internal agreement with what we're talking about because they, uh, sales reps, like the, the whole adage of the top sales rep becoming a manager, right? And then they get into management and they don't have that. They don't, they're so used to being the person that the customer interacts with. They like thrive on it. And I've had reps like this where I'll do a review with them. I'll do a pipeline review, right? And we're sitting down on Friday and we're going through everything. And I'm just seeing all of this activity in the CRM that's with existing customers that they've closed six months ago. Yeah. And and they'll say, they'll say stuff like, oh, I had such a good relationship to them and they like that I get back to them really quickly. I'm like, yeah, but 
you're you're missing opportunities over here and right. they and they use that as like validation and then you get you get that, that person into, yeah and you get that person into a management role and it gets worse because then they continue to like feed off of that neediness yeah. it's it's really interesting and i feel like that's where a lot of sales new sales managers fail out because they they enable that neediness on the team and don't actually empower them and then they have to sit in on deals with them they have to do demos with them and and then they can't actually scale that process and instead of numbers getting better they almost get worse like really quickly and then instead of them going back into their position or or asking for help they just get fired and then they're kind of talking run away with the between their legs or you get good sellers who are looking for empowerment and looking to be challenged that aren't because you're always there like you never let them off the leash yeah and then they quit and your best talent quits because they're like i'm going to like me i have a very owner type of mindset like yeah if I, my leaders man at hubspot were fantastic they like cut the leash so fast and they were like go do whatever yeah. you want and that was like amazing to me because i could go and just fail on my own and just go figure it out and so i think when you are needy as a leader you can suffocate your top talent yeah they were going to go find another leader to work for that's going to give them free reign to yeah. own and to fail and to learn and be challenged and grow. And so there's yeah. a lot of symptoms, negative ones that, that, you know, that are rooted in kind of like that egotistical, you yeah. know, leader neediness disease. The, the ego thing, it's, it, that's an interesting topic because I, I remember not being able to coach certain personalities and certain reps because there are reps there are personalities that need that handholding but then there's other people probably like yourself and and myself that really don't thrive on that like it's please stop trying to help me like i would so much rather try to fail on my own but then as a leader of a team you have to be extremely self-aware to know where you're creating friction in the process understanding you can't manage this rep like you do this rep over here and being flexible in your approach because you can be smothering your top rep not even realizing it because you're treating everyone the same exactly you have to be a different kind of leader to each person and that's a weird new concept that i hadn't really considered before this leadership role because i was like oh i am this kind of leader and so all of my uh direct reports or reps or whatever my team it just like fits into the box of my leadership and that's like yeah, I learned that from Katie Early, you know, at, at shout out to Katie Early, my first manager. She's now a uh, director at HubSpot. Yeah. She's so fantastic at managing like her her management and leadership style like morphed and adapted to the needs and the way the rep needed her to be a leader. She was the leader that they needed. And yes. I was I watched her in awe because I was like, that takes so much skill like you can't it's hard to learn that somewhere besides just experience and so i learned that from her and i'm forever grateful for it but she was just uncanny ability to be able to like quickly understand the personality of a rep Mm -hmm. and then morph her leadership in a way that was going to enable and empower them sometimes that meant they needed more of her attention in the beginning and sometimes like with with people like me she was like I'm, I'm out. I'm backing away. And you're going to get that kind of leadership 
that helped me to thrive and crush yeah. there, obviously, right? Oh. So huge. I, I love love hearing that about other leaders that, that are true leaders to their teams. We don't hear enough of that. We need we definitely need more of that flexibility. Like I, I'll never forget certain moments where it like hit me that I needed to be uh, flexible in my leadership approach. I made I had let me preface what I'm about to say. I had all good intentions coming into this situation. I made one of my reps cry. Like no no joke. And and she's great now. Haley, you're amazing if you're hearing this. Um is years ago, years ago. She's like in medical school now, being successful in her own life and all that. But I was like early in our relationship where we come in and I asked a stupid question of are you confident? <laughs> and 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 I'm li- we're listening to these calls and I hear her like shudder on the call and I'm you know back then Captain Gregarious outgoing confident person um and I'm trying to just copy paste myself yeah. not not managing and leading her the way she needed to be led and I'm over here just hammer nail hammer nail right and yeah. I'll never forget that moment where I'm just like oh my what do I do this is horrible I'm an idiot right and, uh, and that was one of those situations where it was a learning moment where like she needed a different leader. She needed someone to be there for her, be the, the be the empathetic leader to yeah. help build her up, not just expose the fact that she wasn't confident on the call. Right. And, right. and so having that level of flexibility and awareness for your team, for yourself, for your other uh, peers that are managers like having i think that's one of the most important traits of a leader in general it's just absolute self-awareness knowing how you're showing up so that way you can show up how they need it and you said it a second ago the leader that they the leader that they need not yeah. the leader you want to show up to be completely yeah, different leader that you want to be it's like the leader yeah. that they yeah it's like it's nothing to do with you and kind of your and it's hard to learn this right because it's like when you read leadership books they're pretty much pretty like prescriptive like hey yeah. do these things like be this kind of leader yeah and that can be misleading because it's like you can't like the, the best leaders are not just one kind of leader. They are yeah. all kinds of leaders, Hundred percent, you know, and that's, uh, that's tough, you know, yeah. to, to figure out. So it's, it's interesting. You say the book piece, because the older that I get and the more experience that I, that I get and the exposure to different situations, the books that I find are more impactful for the people I lead are the ones that teach me more about myself. Not so much like the tactics and the tricks and the hacks to be better leaders. The more I understand about how I function between the ears, the better it seems to come off to the people I'm helping. It's really interesting how that works. Yeah. As, um, as one, one note, I don't know where, where we're taking this, but as one note, and just for anybody listening, like I really love learning from, uh, you know, leadership from like autobiographical types yeah. of work because they're not prescriptive. It's not like yeah. do this. It's like, this is what I did. And I love learning in that way from leaders. Like a book that I, that I think about is like the hard thing about hard things. Um, yeah. By ben, is that by Ben Horowitz? Yep. 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 Yeah. And man, he just like talks about his whole journey through yeah. all of his different startups and failures. And it's mm-hmm. like, I love actually learning from leaders that I respect by reading autobiographical work. So that's kind of my, 
my hack that I'll teach the audience is read more autobiographies and biographies because it's a fantastic way to learn. No, great. That's a great book. And I have come to learn the same way before it was like your traditional books. Like, you know, I've got a John C. Maxwell book right here. The, you know, and, and John C. Maxwell books are great because all he does is personify other leaders, but I've read books where it's like the, you know, the seven specific seven steps to becoming a leader. And it's like, uh, I, it's not really relatable. I, you you have to the stories just like in sales stories tend to sell stories are what we relate to and so the more that we can understand people's perspectives and situations uh, i think the more we can absorb them and then personify them in the future in those situations but bringing it back in a little bit you having this mentality and having this servant-minded leadership and kind of not being the smartest person in the room like, what were some of the things that kind of hit you going into the the main guy's role? You were your director. You go from team lead to structure. Now you're director having to create everything. And you kind of said something before we started recording about, you know, being Batman. Like, what were some of the things that kind of hit you in that realm of things? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an ego thing, too, that I, need to, I needed to shed. And I, I came into this role thinking, like, Batman, like I'm going to overhaul stuff. I'm going to be this huge catalyst for change and I'm going to do all these major things and I'm going to be the hero and it's going to be amazing. Mm -hmm. And what I found is that like I was spinning my wheels with stuff and spending a lot of time on things that weren't moving the needle. One of the big realizations that I came to really in just like the last, you know, five, six weeks was that for me to come in and make the most impact actually just required small tweaks and changes. Yeah. This was completely unexpected because I thought like, oh, I'm going to be the builder guy. I'm going to come in and build the sales process from zero to one and it's going to be amazing. And what I found is like the lowest hanging fruit that moved the needle the most was actually like small, boring stuff. Yeah. And that was a really weird an awesome kind of revelation where I, I was actually talking to a previous leader that I had a couple of roles ago before HubSpot. And I was telling him kind of all the things I was working on at Refine. And I said something like, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I'm really just kind of making small tweaks here and there. And he said something really important that stuck with me. He was like, Carl, don't discount the power yeah. of those small things. Like it took you years. They're small to you, but like it took you years of learning and failure to realize the power of those small things. And that's exactly why you were hired for this because you have those small little insights and those insights are, are often the most powerful ones to transforming an organization or a specific function or something. And that really stuck with me. And it was like, I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> like these are small tweaks. Like, but they're super important. Nobody else had done them before. Yeah. Right. And now they've moved the needle and dramatically increased like some of the results that we're seeing. So that was a new, I didn't, it was unexpected learning coming in. Was, was there, is there any particular small pebble that you move that you can share? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of them. Somebody asked me yesterday, one of the uh, execs where I live like a weekly sales standup and it's yeah. basically me and my team and then the, uh, the chiefs. Right. Yeah. And so they asked, like, because we just having a really great month and quarter, and they were like, yeah. "What? Like, what? What did it? What is? What's doing this? Is it this thing? Is it this thing?" And I was like, "No, it's actually just like small little things. We're asking 
two or three better questions at the end of our, you know, uh, discovery calls. We are reframing our second stage instead of doing like a, a low value kind of marketing performance audit. We're doing now what we call executive briefings um, and reframing what happens and the value in that call. Yeah. We're booking next steps. Dwayne, this is like basic to you and everybody. Like, yeah. We're booking next steps. We don't send proposals. We review them on a call with the right yeah. people first. Like tiny yes. tweak. And <laughs> like the textbook things that like you, textbook. you when you you go into a situation and you're 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 reviewing and I, I do this with clients when I when I come in and help them build a SaaS sales structure and I'm sitting and it's the same stuff. I'm coming in with like this gigantic tool, this chest of tools, like, oh, we're gonna do these things. And I'm like, you're you're not setting expectations on your demo. That's it. They don't know you're gonna call them back. Like, just start doing that. And a week goes by, they're like, oh my gosh, I just closed three new, three new accounts because all I did was set expectations. It's like it's these little these little tiny things that exactly. you miss. It's crazy. You, when you do six of those tiny changes in the entire sales process. We're seeing our, you know, sales cycle times slashed like yeah. very dramatically. We're closing yeah. deals like in month, whereas before it could take up to like a quarter to close yeah. deals. Um, and some of the numbers you were sharing with me before you started recording is dramatic. Because I remember when you got into the role and we were talking about some of the things, and was like, "That's a long sale," and all of a sudden it's like, "Wow, that that is impressive." Let's just say, yeah, and that's what I, that's that was unexpected to me coming into the role where it was like. The stuff is, I thought it was going to be like moving mountains, you know, to, to oh, make yeah. dramatic changes. And it's not. It's been like dials, right? We're just tweaking dials here and there. And that's what like my role is. And that's what I, for my sales team that I'm now, you know, hiring for and whatnot. It's like, it's not like training somebody in this robust, like onboarding. It's just yeah. like, where are you today as a seller? Let's slowly start tweaking dials. And over a very short period of time, it's like dramatically different results. And again, yeah. that was just a, a, I didn't expect that coming into yeah. the role, you know? Okay. So if you're listening to this audience and you guys are wanting to work for a really good leader, that's not going to overwhelm you with a bunch of shit, go work for Carl. But then what? So I'm, I'm a data nut, you know, my metric manager playbook, like all that stuff. I, I use activity pipelines as a lever to increase opportunity pipelines. And so you have to elaborate on, what are those little those knobs and those little tweaks that you're doing that make that big of an impact? Yeah, yeah, good one. So I, from a data perspective, you know, I'm just we're paying a lot of attention to like conversion rates between s stages, which we weren't necessarily doing before. Again, like these which little, stages? Uh, so like for instance, I was looking at like the conversion rate from our stage two or three with this yeah. executive briefing like how many of these are moving to proposal how many deals do we win at the proposal stage because previously it was like 50 percent, and i was just like why why are we losing half the deals that are going to a proposal review that seems catastrophic like if yeah. you a proposal with somebody this deal should be for the it, most part it, you, you must be sending blank proposals then <laughs> Yeah, or proposals <laughs> to people that are just are not like they're not souls. We're not yeah. there, you know. So a couple things is like watching those conversion rates inch up over time. Some of like the really tactical stuff that we're doing is like at the end of our executive briefings, like I want three questions to be asked, and you can ask them in any way that you want according to your personality. But the gist of them is, 
do you feel like you understand and have a good grasp of the value that refine labs is going to bring to the table like yeah i don't feel like we just we don't do those level setting questions enough as as so i implemented like a couple of these questions like do you even understand what we're talking about here yeah yes. okay do you feel like Dwayne, you understand the level of investment required because we've already talked pricing a couple of times before yeah. the proposal yeah yeah we get it we get it cool what is preventing us from becoming partners this week if we can get proposals and red lines behind us like trial closing asking for business yes. there like yes. setting the expectation with a buyer that like this is not a casual conversation where <laughs> yeah it's like are are you ready to buy or not yeah and that's just we weren't really testing the commitment of our buyers previously and again those are like three very tactical questions that we yeah. ask at the end of that stage two and guess what happens we either are moving forward with a very committed buyer yep. at that point or we're doing the right thing which is going backwards to value if they say no to any of the first questions then yep. it's like we're not ready to advance this opportunity we now have to circle move backwards to to, to speed up again dude sales 101 100 it, it amazes me how to like two things it's amazing to see how many problems in growth are solved by the basics and yep. then two how many problems are solved just with communication like building right. your internal brand the, yep. the clarity you're, you're creating amongst your peers and your and your superiors and those two things like communicate if you can communicate the basics and execute execute on the basics yep. you'd be amazed on what you can yep. accomplish in a short period of time dude that's it i i think i stole this from anthony inarino uh one mm. of his books but I think somewhere, but I always say and tell people, man, like success is really just consistent execution of the basics. And I said that for a long time and I still came into this role thinking that like it was going to take like this Batman-esque kind of effort to transform everything. And I like neglected my own rule. It's not. It's just every day, <laughs> every week, execute on, on the 101 stuff. Yeah. And you will crush your goals, your competitors, whatever, whatever that means, right? For, you know, for you. And um, it's never been more true than in the sales leadership role. So that's, that's amazing. And we'll end on a high note. Um, that I couldn't have said it any better than that. I'm going to save that specific clip and share the crap out of it because executing on the basics, right? Coming back, coming back to your true north operating from that baseline that that's amazing and i think more and more leaders need to understand how important that is and how effective that is and how simple it is to get your team to understand how to do it that's it man okay carl this was great love it i feel like we can go in so many different directions for so long and we usually do Coming soon let's do right? it <laughs> okay so before uh, before the audience leaves like where can people find you is it linkedin like where where's your favorite spot people interact with you that's it, man. If you got Zoom info, you can go ahead and steal my mobile number and my email and hit me up there. Um, <laughs> and yeah, but I am on LinkedIn all day long. Uh, LinkedIn.com forward slash Carl dash Ferreira. Nice. I am open to um, any questions, calls, whatever it is. Come find no. me. Let's chat. No, that's great. Carl, it's been a great, great session. And I appreciate you stopping by. Okay, my friend, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Sales Leader Network as much as I did. 
Make sure you send it to a few of your friends. Take a screenshot and copy the link to this episode so you can share it on social media. It's on each of us to spread the power of what true leadership has on the people around us. To join our growing community of sales leaders, go to salesleadernetwork.com right now and apply so you can continue your leadership journey. I truly hope you were able to get value out of today's episode and look forward to seeing you again on the next one.